you can be sure Satan will do his best to trip us up. Pastor Ed Ray shares this thought. There's so many different ways that Satan can stumble our feet, can snare us. I know a lot of people who have been pastors that are no longer even going to church anywhere and Bible school teachers and Sunday school teachers and people that used to be ushers and, and that were very involved, but then something happened and we needed to take time to listen to their stories. There's always some story how Satan begins to move us away from God and we back further and further away from God's people so he can isolate us, so he can pick us off and destroy our lives. We reach out to those who don't know Christ at all, but we also need to boldly reach out to those that are struggling and haven't been to church in years. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick deal and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. When you hit a crisis point and all hope seems to be lost, where do you turn? Well, on the heels of the death and burial of Jesus, the disciples were greatly saddened and had lost hope. But Jesus is about to resurrect their hope and faith on a road to Emmaus. Welcome to another week of Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is nearing the end of our study in Luke, and we aim to complete the journey later this week. Jesus is about to make a post-resurrection appearance to a couple of his disciples. Let's see what transpired as we join Pastor Ed in Luke 24. We're in Luke chapter 24, working our way through the Bible verse by verse. We're breaking into the resurrection day discussion. Jesus has already appeared to the women. And now at verse 13, now behold, two of them disciples were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? This is awesome. Can you believe he's saying that to Jesus? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but he they did not see. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Messiah, the Christ, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And now he had was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, we're looking this morning at a story of heartburn, only in this case it's a good thing. Someone has called this the greatest, second greatest story ever told, the first being, of course, the grand picture of Jesus. The second greatest story in the world. It gives us insights into Jesus that we find nowhere else. It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. You remember Luke is a physician. He's a Greek physician, we believe. And he is only giving eyewitness testimony. He says at the beginning of his Gospel that he was not an eyewitness, but he was faithfully writing down what eyewitnesses told him had happened. So evidently, he's the only one that has access to this man named Cleopas and the second person who we don't have a name for. So you can put your name in it. I can put my name in it. If you've ever gone to a a marriage retreat called the Road to Emmaus, you'll know that they teach that this is Cleopas' wife. And it may be. There's a Mary over in the Gospel of John that was at the cross who is actually Jesus' aunt. She's married to a man named Cleopas. It does not say it's the same Cleopas. But you get the idea. The idea is that this is someone who is not very well known. One isn't even named. These are just normal, everyday disciples of Jesus Christ. They are not famous. They don't do anything in the rest of the book. We can't find their names mentioned again in the entire Bible. But that in itself is part of the story. I gather from that that they really matter to God. Because Jesus will spend the greater part of that day with these two unknown disciples. He's going to walk from Jerusalem to their village. He's going to go in. He's going to have dinner with them. The greatest amount of time he spent on that resurrection day was with two people that we barely know anything about. That tells me that you matter to God. God cares about you. God cares about me. He doesn't care whether we're educated or not, whether we're rich or poor, whether we can speak, articulate well or not, whether we can write, whether we're talented in any way. He cares about us because he knit us together, wove us together in our mother's womb, and he is in love with us. We matter to him. So he has a plan for your life and mine as he has for these two. And he's going to take a pair of discouraged, disappointed, depressed. You ever noticed how many D words are negative? Dead. (laughs) Disciples. And he's going to tell them the story. First, he's going to hide his identity, and then he's going to show himself after explaining to them exactly what they had seen. Now, the vast majority of us will have never seen Christ and never will in this life. 
the vast majority of people who have called themselves disciples of Jesus have never seen him. A very tiny handful, 500 people saw him risen from the dead. So most of us are in the position of not having seen him with our eyes, but we can see with the eyes of our heart. We sing that song here often, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. This is a story about heart, about eyes of our hearts being open and being on fire, burning for him. This section breaks up into three parts. First, there's this bad news that they're talking about, verse 13 through 24. And then their eyes are open, the eyes of their heart, in verse 25 through 31, as well as their physical eyes. And then the good news, verse 32 to 35. It's a great story. Let's jump in and look at it. Outside of the city of Jerusalem, two struggle along this road. Now behold, two of them, verse 13 says, traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, Seven miles from Jerusalem, they're heading west. They're going into the setting sun, and really their emotions are setting too. They're frustrated. They're going to a city that we have not been able to find in archaeology yet in Israel. So if you're looking for a summer of service somewhere, you can go to uh, Jerusalem and dig around for Emmaus. We know it existed in Josephus' day, the Roman historian. He said it was there during the second revolution, the Barcopa revolution in about 132. And Hadrian, the emperor, destroyed it, leveled it, took it to the ground. And so maybe that's why we can't find anything of it. But they're headed west. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, what had been going on. They're discussing it. Now, this is a, a word homeo, where we get our word homiletics in the English language. And, and today, that word is used to describe teaching someone how to preach. But that's not what the original word meant. They're just simply talking here. They're conversing about spiritual things. And I, I believe we need to get back to that original meaning. That we just talk with one another about what it means to walk with God, what God's been saying to you, to me. They're talking about the things that have just happened around them in the last three days. The six different trials of Jesus through the two high priests and then Pilate and then over to Herod then back to Pilate and then his crucifixion and his death. These disciples are used to be disciples. They're so discouraged right now that they're heading back home. They're leaving the rest of the disciples. Now, we all know people like that, used to be disciples of Jesus. Maybe someone's here in that shape. Beat up, frustrated, disappointed, discouraged, depressed over something that happened in your life earlier. There's so many different ways that Satan can stumble our feet, can snare us. I know a lot of people who have been pastors that are no longer even going to church anywhere and Bible school teachers and Sunday school teachers and people that used to be ushers and, and that were very involved, but then something happened and we needed to take time to listen to their stories. Somebody who they cared about disappointed them. Maybe it was another pastor who took a fall, ran off with the secretary or did something really crazy. Somebody who they respected criticize them, embarrass them in front of other people. There's always some story how Satan begins to move us away from God. And we back further and further away from God's people so he can isolate us, so he can pick us off and destroy our lives. We reach out to those who don't know Christ at all, but we also need to boldly reach out to those that are struggling that haven't been to church in years. This church is really good at that. You know, we see people coming to the Lord almost every service, every weekend. We need to think about those who used to be. These are used to be. They had used to be cornerstones. Now they're stumbling blocks. They're struggling along the road.
All around us are people who are struggling just like this. God give us eyes to see so that we can reach them in the love of Christ. God has the grace to help them overcome. This is Grow in Grace, and Pastor Ed Ray is covering Luke 24 today. Here he is with more. While they converse, same word again, homileo, they're just talking. And then a second word, they reason. And this word is a little more passionate. They're arguing. <laughs> they're arguing about the things that have happened. And as they're arguing, they're not paying attention probably to how they're walking. Suddenly, Jesus shows up. That's all it says. This is another one of those scriptures that, it, you know, I'm frustrated. Lord, what do you mean you just showed up? Did you pop out of a tree? Did you come up out of the ground? They're walking along and suddenly Jesus pulls up alongside. And they're unable to tell it's him. This is a hilarious story, actually. Their eyes were restrained, verse 16 said. They didn't know it was him. Now, Mark 16, 12 says they didn't recognize him because he appeared in another form. What does that mean? I don't know. But he's got a cool new body, and we get one too. So someday you'll get to do this stuff that we're reading about. He is hiding himself temporarily. He restrains their eyes so they can't tell that it's him. And sometimes God does that. Oh, he's going to answer their questions. They have a lot of them. In fact, he's going to give them probably the greatest Bible study ever given along the road to Emmaus. But at this moment... They don't understand, and so he's going to draw them out to find out what they are thinking so he can correct their thinking. He wants to answer their questions. He wants to answer your questions too, but don't be surprised if he doesn't answer them right away. I've got a whole folder full of questions that I've asked the Lord. I write them down, and every once in a while, an answer pops up, sometimes after years. So know that Jesus wants to answer your questions, but sometimes he holds us off until we're mature enough to handle the answer, to really understand it, verse 17. And he said to them, well, what kind of conversation, same word, homileo, is that you have with one another as you walk, and you're so sad. He sees their attitude. They're depressed. There's no hope. They don't have any hope left. They're discouraged. These two are sad about Jesus being dead. And that's really the whole thing he's going to draw them into. They don't understand. It's really... Ironic, it, it's hilarious. He's standing right in front of them, but they don't get it. Then the one whose name was Cleopas, and he's probably really sorry that his name is actually here in the scripture. Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening? Where have you been? This is pretty sarcastic response to the son of God. <laughs> Where have you been lately? In a hole someplace? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Under a rock? Well, yeah. <laughs> And Jesus said to them, this is great. This is divine humor. What things? <laughs> like he doesn't know. <laughs> and they're going to spill out everything that they've been talking about. Of course, he says that to draw them out because he wants to hear how they see things. That's important. But he's really drawing them into this conversation. Well, tell me about it. What things have been happening? They said, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people. Now, here's a problem. They do what so many people do today. Well, he was a great prophet. No, <laughs> he was not a great prophet. He was the prophet. He's the source of prophecy. He is the Messiah. This is God, the son. So many people say, well, he was a great teacher. No, 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 no. He was the teacher. He's God, the teacher, who gave us the word of God. He is 
much more than what they're thinking, and that's the point. They can't see him. He is not just a prophet. Secondly, verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. They're depressed because Jesus was dead because the religious rulers had killed yet another prophet. That's what they're saying. You know, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the rest of them. The Jewish leaders killed him. No, 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 no. He gave himself to die. They don't understand. They're blind. But we had hoped, verse 21, thirdly, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the redeemer. We thought he was the Messiah. We used to hope. We don't hope anymore. You see, we've lost hope. We would like to hope. We'd like to expect something good from him. We were expecting it on Palm Sunday morning when we were all waving our palm fronds and shouting Hosanna. But then he didn't do what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was supposed to be the military ruler, right? Of Israel, that's what it said. He's supposed to throw these Romans out. But he didn't. We used to believe, we used to hope. There's a movie a while back, some of you remember, Hope Floats. I think there's a little hope floating in here. Notice the end of it. Today is the third day. Something in the back of Cleopas' mind was saying, he said something about the third day, but it's over. Look, the sun's going down. It hasn't happened yet. It's over in Luke 9.22. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. They heard that. They spent three and a half years with Jesus. Luke 18.31. Behold, Jesus speaking, and we're going to Jerusalem and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked, insulted, spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So there's a little tinge left of hope. Sun's not down yet. It's not the fourth day. That's what Cleopas is thinking. But they were relying on their eyesight. These are very practical disciples. They're relying upon what they could see. But that's where hope collides. That's where faith contradicts vision. You see, the problem with relying on sight instead of faith is you can't see with your visual eyes, with your physical material eyes, things that are spiritual. The writer of Hebrews 11.1 1 said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, expected. The evidence of things not seen. What, Pastor? That's confusing. Faith is being able to see the invisible. Faith is being able to grasp the unseen, the spiritual part of life. You are a triune being when you've given your life to the Lord. Before you give your life to the Lord, you're just a dual. You're just soul and physical body. But when you give your life to the Lord, then the third takes place, the interface between God and man. Spirit comes alive and you begin to grasp things that you could not ever see with your eyes. Now you can see it in other people. Look in the eyes of other people that are believers. You see it. Biblical faith is the substance, this says. The underlying reality. Oh, this world looks real. It's got these five senses that we're so used to. Sight. We're so used to sight that we rely on it more than the other four senses. 
we were talking in a men's study the other night. One of the guys knew something about JFK Jr.'s death in 1999. JFK took a, a, a Piper Saratoga into the Martha's Vineyard, into the ocean. It was a tragedy. So much, such a gifted man that everyone hoped would be more than what he was able to attain. But he's in this airplane and it fogs in and he starts depending on his sight. And the FAA that later did the discovery of all the evidence said that the plane went in almost vertical at full power, right into the water. He killed himself and his wife and his sister-in-law because he was relying on his sight instead of the instruments. Sight is such a powerful sense that it will throw off the other ones. Doubt that, go get on a merry-go-round with your kids down at the park and spend too fast and then get off. Your inner ear will confuse your vision because you're trying to trust your eyes and they're not working right. If you doubt that, get a plate of spaghetti and put green dye all over it and hand it to somebody. It'll taste the same, but they won't think so. (laughs) You see, we rely on sight for all the other senses. They modify the other four senses, particularly the one in our heart. We can't see with physical eyes the things of God. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early astonished. I can't believe what these girls said. They went to the tomb, and when they did not find his body, his body was missing. In fact, we still can't find it. That's a big problem. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Well, you know, they're nice enough gals, but they're a little hysterical. Yeah. Ladies, <laughs> verse 24, a little girl stopped me after the last service. She said, why do you have guys only come up and pray? Why don't girls pray? Can they pray okay? I said, oh, yeah, they pray great. The problem is almost 70% of the churches in America are filled with females. 70% of the people in the pews are females. We're trying to show that real men love Jesus. She said, oh, you mean they're dense. I said, yeah, now you've got it. <laughs> You hang with that girl. You got it. She's about 14. She's already figured it out. Verse 24. Sorry, guys, under the bus again. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Peter and John, they went. They saw the clothes, the cloth that had been around him. But again, you can't see him, so he can't be there, right? And then he said to them, oh, foolish ones. King James says it literally. You fools. (laughs) Thick, that's what it means. Thick-headed. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. They were reluctant to believe spiritual truths, biblical truths. The word all is important here. All of it. They believe some of it, but they didn't believe all of it. Where are you with that issue in the Bible? Do you believe all of it? Or parts of, you know, there's parts of it, Pastor, they're really hard to understand and grasp. I'm not sure I believe all of it. I understand, but you need to just embrace it. When I became a Christian years and years ago, I was already a working scientist, and I was struggling after I became a Christian because I read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I'd been taught evolution and actually had taught it a little bit. And, and now, what do I do with, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth? Accept it. If you'll accept what God says is true, then suddenly your eyes open like these disciples are about to experience, and you'll see things you never saw before. Now I look at the creation and I go, his fingerprints are everywhere. 
Pastor Ed Ray encouraging us to accept what God has to say through His Word, and then your eyes will be opened. We're at the tail end of our study of Luke here on Grow in Grace. Thanks for being with us. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org, and that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, Love and harmony I said let this world know me by your